Let me set a scene for you. It's a busy shopping center on a busy Saturday afternoon. A mentally exhausted worker from a Burger King restaurant is taking a smoke break outside. A young woman hesitantly walks by him. He recognizes her because she is a woman he served in the restaurant less than an hour ago. He remembers her because she was with a rude, abrasive customer who cursed and swore over some small problem with his order. The woman is young, maybe still a teenager. She's also beautiful, with long dark hair and a slight build. The man she's with is older and bigger. He has model good looks too, but his attitude makes him much uglier. There's another woman with them, but he doesn't remember much about her, just that both women were very quiet and subdued. The dark-haired woman makes eye contact and then suddenly drops a screwed-up paper towel on the table where he's sitting. It blows off, slides to the floor, and lands at his feet. After she's walked by, he picks it up and reads the words, Don't make a scene, but I'm a missing person. Please call the police. Please act normal. Don't say anything. Just call the police. He looks back at the woman as she returns to her table across the food court, disbelief and confusion in his eyes. Maybe he's thinking he's being pranked by some TV show, or maybe some TikToker trying to get some views. He looks around, but he doesn't see any cameras. Then he thinks about the man, how he was, and how silent, quiet, and anxious the dark-haired woman was. He decides he needs to call the police. Welcome to Twisted Travel and True Crime. I'm your host, Sandy. Thank you so much for listening, especially you returning listeners. I feel like I'm blessed with the best listeners out there. New listeners, just a heads up that I do live and record on a small sailboat, so you're going to hear some boat or water noises in the background. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. Today's case takes us to Algarve, Portugal, where you can sit among soaring cliffs, sea caves, golden beaches, and sandy islands. It's a beautiful tourist destination for many British citizens because it's only two and a half hours to three hours flight away from home. Our mysterious 19-year-old, the dark-haired beauty Lauren Canton, is British. She had come to Portugal for some fun. She was looking to explore the world. At 16, she quit school and began to travel. She and a close friend had visited Luxembourg, Austria, and the Czech Republic before they arrived in Portugal in April of 2019. They had quickly found work at a bar in the Algarve Resort area of Villamura. It was in the resort where Lauren first met her abductor. His name was Donald Fernandez. He was 35 years old and a Canadian-Portuguese national. He also had a shady past. He had been previously convicted of manslaughter and had been in jail. When he lived in Canada, he had owned a construction company, but the money he earned building things apparently wasn't enough for him. He decided to take the job as a getaway driver in a robbery that went bad, during which a 66-year-old man was shot dead. The man's name was Jose Silviero. He was father to seven children and grandfather to nine. He was shot in the face by one of Hernandez's accomplices when he just wouldn't hand over the registered handguns that he had been keeping in a safe. This murder happened in 2003. Fernandez was convicted and jailed for seven years after that incident. During that time, he chose to escape from jail in the middle of the sentence and spent six days on the run before surrendering during an armed standoff with police. 
When he was finally set free, he moved from Canada to Portugal. In 2001, Portugal decriminalized the recreational use of all common drugs, including marijuana, cocaine, LSD, and heroin. Possession of these drugs is not illegal. However, if you're found to be in possession of more than 10 days' worth, you might get some jail time, but you'll also be offered rehab. This may be one of the reasons that Donald Fernandez moved to Portugal. He loved his drugs and quickly got into trouble there as well. His Portuguese record showed that he had been previously arrested for rape, making threats to kill, fraud, and owning firearms that were illegal. He wasn't a good guy. But how could Lauren know that? He presented himself to her as a very well-off business owner. He ran a rental business and worked part-time as an Uber driver. Lauren was new to the area and knew nothing about him, but she thought he was handsome and charming. Donald had been born in Canada and was fluent in English, so he could easily converse with her. He told her when they met that he had just bought a bar nearby. He invited Lauren and some of her female co-workers to come visit his business under the guise of offering them employment. Gladly, the girls agreed to go, and everything seemed to be on the up-and-up. The girls had all had a drink at the bar, which Donald happily paid for. Lauren said it was very much a business chat, not a date. She said, I was giving him ideas on how to make it appealing to British tourists. He was quite serious and almost sweet. There was nothing that made alarm bells ring. And one of the girls that she worked with knew him, so she trusted him. As the night wore on, her friend slowly drifted home. When it came time for Lauren to leave, she realized she didn't have any data left on her mobile phone plan and didn't have a way to call a taxi. It was four in the morning and her friends had already left, so when Donald Fernandez offered her a lift home, she gladly accepted. I'm officially old because staying up at a bar until 4 a.m. sounds terrible to me. I'm so old that staying up until midnight doesn't even sound good. When Lauren looks back on that night, she realized accepting the ride home was not a good choice. She said, it's one of those things your mom always tells you not to do. Don't accept a ride from a stranger. But I didn't think I had anything to worry about. After riding for just a few minutes, Lauren began to question herself and began to realize that she was making a huge mistake. Donald's phone rang. He answered it and immediately began shouting. Lauren was still sitting right beside him, and she could hear another woman on the phone crying. Donald Fernandez was getting angrier and angrier. He was shouting, cursing, and eventually hung up and threw his phone to the floor of the car. Awkward. Lauren, like most of us would do, just went quiet when she tried to process what just happened, and she tried to come up with something to do or say. A few minutes later, Donald stopped to pick up a woman, and it turned out that she was the person he had been shouting at on the phone. Lauren was told to get in the back of the car, but when she tried to open the front door to get out, he locked the door, then yanked her by her hair and forced her head back through the space between the two front seats. This made Lauren's blood run cold. She said her adrenaline was going through the roof. As the woman got in, Lauren heard her say something that scared her even more. The woman said, What girl have you picked up this time? Lauren began to panic. She became hysterical and begged for Donald to take her home. He screamed at her and then threatened her, telling her he'd kill her and then bury her. The woman who got into the car turned out to be Donald's girlfriend. 
Her name is Sukena Elkiati. I did my best on that pronunciation. She and Donald continued to fight for the entire 20-minute ride to Donald's home. He lived in a huge, luxurious villa surrounded by electronic gates in the village of Benfaras. Lauren was petrified. She had no idea what he was capable of or whether she'd ever see her family again. She thought about trying to jump out of the car, but she was afraid that if she did, she'd be killed right there and then. Once all three of them were firmly enclosed inside the house, Donald and his girlfriend began shouting at each other again. The verbal argument soon became a physical argument, and he began to beat her. She tried to stop the beating, only to be badly beaten herself. Sukena was frightened and very subservient to Donald. She seemed like a bit of a captive herself. Lauren was quick to observe that the relationship was a strange one. He took complete control of everyone around him, especially Sukayana and Lauren. Lauren said she blocked out a lot of what happened that first night, but she does remember being knocked on the ground where she curled up in a ball and he kicked her repeatedly. When he got tired of kicking Lauren, he went back to Sukena and resumed physically fighting with her as well. This resulted in Sukena being stabbed in the arm. Lauren said it was bleeding really badly, and then Sukena ran out of the house, leaving Lauren and Donald alone. Lauren was stunned, in shock, and couldn't believe what was happening. Fernandez, who was still fuming and uncontrollable, sexually assaulted Lauren. It was the first of several attacks and rapes that he forced on her while she was held captive. When he was finished raping her the first time, he ordered her into the car and they drove around looking for his girlfriend. Lauren was trying to get away. She tried to signal a car that was following them without Donald seeing. She was waving her hand really fast at a car that followed them for just a little while, but to her dismay, it turned away. They found Sukena just a little further down the road. After picking her up, Fernandez took Lauren back to his house. He left her there while he drove his girlfriend to the hospital. Lauren took this opportunity to escape and climbed over the gates of the villa. It was beginning to get light by this time, and she was able to see that she was up in the mountains overlooking Villa Mura. She ran towards a neighbor's house and banged on the front door. She shouted through the door and was still yelling when an Englishwoman opened it. I was hysterical, said Lauren. I pointed to his house and begged her to call the police. She left me standing on the porch. She picked up the phone and made a call. I could see there were little children inside, and I think she was nervous about letting me in at the time. I was looking towards the road, terrified that he was going to come back and hurt me, or kill her, or kill all of us. What Lauren did next confused everyone, including herself. She felt confused, terrified, and lost. She returned to Fernandez's house, climbing back over the gates. She thought that she'd wait there for the police to turn up. She didn't run because she was miles from anywhere. She only knew of one road in and out, and she thought she'd be found easily and killed. She thought it would be best to just sit tight, keep calm, and wait for the police to arrive. But they never showed up. When she realized that they weren't coming, she was devastated. I'm not sure if drugs were involved on Lauren's part. There was no mention of them in any of my sources, but it was stated that Donald Fernandez was a heavy consumer of many different drugs. The reason I wondered about Lauren possibly taking drugs is because it's so hard to imagine why she would have stayed there. 
Perhaps drugs were part of the reason she had so much confusion and fear. Maybe they weren't. I've never been in a situation like this, so I have no idea how I'd act. Either way, she was paralyzed with fear and chose to stay. When Fernandez and his girlfriend returned, his behavior was stranger than ever. He acted as if nothing had happened. He was calm and friendly. He acted like she was there because she wanted to be, and maybe he believed that because she hadn't left when she had the opportunity. He spoke as though they were friends, and that scared Lauren even more. She thought perhaps he was more coherent at this point, so she asked him straight up if she could go home. But he exploded with fury and said if she ever asked again, he'd kill her. Then he went on to say, this is your home now. He, like many of the killers I've read about and some that I've shared with you, seems to have two personalities. One is a calm, outward personality, and then there's a hidden, vicious, uncontrollable personality. When the evil side comes out, it's like the Incredible Hulk. It's angry, uncontrollable, and doesn't go away until some kind of distraction occurs. Laura never knew what side of him she was going to get. It was very frightening and confusing for her. She walked on eggshells all the time. She was held captive for 10 days. During that time, she was able to move around freely inside the house, but she wasn't allowed outside. She was given free access to food and water anytime she needed it. Fernandez went out almost every night, but left his girlfriend to watch over Lauren. He would come home every morning. Lauren's phone had been taken, so she had no way to call for help. When Donald left, she would sleep. She tried to make friends with Sukena, but she felt that Sukena was as much of a victim as she herself was. Donald had promised Sukena that he would help her get official papers renewed so that she could stay in Algarve. She was afraid she'd be deported, and Lauren believed that Sukena had something like Stockholm Syndrome. For anyone who might not know what Stockholm Syndrome is, it occurs when someone is held captive, and the prisoner begins to bond with the person who's keeping them captive. They might even feel some kind of love towards the hostage taker. It's a strange phenomenon that happens with about 5% of hostages, which is pretty significant. Lauren said she saw him inflict terrible assaults on Sukena. He would slap and punch her. She was covered in scars and bruises, but she wasn't the only one beaten, bruised, and worse. Lauren was regularly sexually assaulted and was raped three times. She said she kept trying to persuade Sukena to escape with her, but Sukena was too scared to go to the police and instead defended Fernandez, saying that steroids, cocaine, and alcohol had turned him into a monster. Sukena wouldn't let Lauren leave either. Maybe she preferred having his cruel attention divided between two victims. After several days, Lauren's second attempt at freedom came. Donald took her to a shopping center 15 minutes from his home. There's a lot to be discussed about the extent to which he was able to manage and control her because she felt like she couldn't scream or call for help or just run, even in a crowded shopping center. She felt that she had to be 100% certain that she would be successful before she could even try to escape from him. She felt dazed being outside with him. Lauren even recognized a friend of hers sitting in the cafe area where Donald had taken her. She asked him if she could go buy something to eat. When he gave her a couple dollars, she walked right past her friend's table. She said he was on the phone, but she caught his eye and signaled to him to call for help. All the while, she kept an eye on Donald to make sure he couldn't see what she was doing. 
She could tell that her friend could see something was wrong. She had been missing for a few days by then, so she thought people might be looking for her. She was right on that point. Her family had reported her missing to the police. She was truly, and officially, a missing person. Only a minute or two went by when Donald decided it was time to go. She tried to slow their exit by window shopping and petting a dog, but what felt like no time at all, they were back in the parking lot. She glanced back and saw that her friend was talking with security guards. She believed they would come and help her, but if they were planning to help, they didn't make the move quick enough. As Donald drove away from the mall, Lauren felt utterly defeated. Later, when she was asked why she didn't run to the security guards, she replied that she didn't think she'd be taken seriously and that Donald would fly into a rage. Back at the villa, Lauren kept trying to make friends with Donald and Sukena. She tried to get him to lower his guard and to relax. She pretended that she was there by choice. She expressed interest in working for him and his business plans. She hoped one day he'd let her go. On her 10th day in captivity, he took her and Sukena to another shopping center in Algarve. It was when Donald lost his temper with a fast food worker that Lauren finally saw her opportunity to escape. Fernandez led the women away from the Burger King to another eating area. He felt he was completely in control of Lauren at this time, so when she asked if she could go to the bathroom, he allowed her to go alone. This part of her explanation is telling. The fact that she, a 19-year-old woman, felt like she had to ask permission to go to the bathroom. On the way to the restroom, she saw the fast food worker sitting outside, in front of the restaurant, but she was still too afraid to go and approach him directly. Instead, she took a pen from a mobile phone kiosk and wrote an SOS message on the paper towel while she was in the bathroom. She rolled it up into a ball to hide it inside her hand and dropped it right in front of the man who would become her savior. She continued walking by and sat calmly down with Donald and Sukena. She tried to appear relaxed and at ease, but her heart was racing. She watched as the fast food worker walked back into the restaurant. She was hopeful that this time someone would come save her. A few minutes later, she saw six police officers coming up the escalator. She was certain they were coming for her. When they approached her table, she finally felt her ordeal was over but what unfolded was strangely uneventful. The officers approached the table and reassured Lauren that she was safe. They went on to question Fernandez and his girlfriend, who insisted that Lauren had been free to go the entire time. The officers let them leave, and as the couple walked away, Lauren said that Donald gave her a little wave and said with a smirking smile, I'll see you later. Lauren's emotions were all over the place. She was relieved but shocked about everything that had happened. She also felt guilty about leaving Sukena with a monster. Lauren was taken to the police station, where she was able to give a full statement, but it was another eight months before Donald was finally arrested in January of 2020. When police started looking into Donald Fernandez, they found a police report, just a few weeks old. It was from another woman named Layla Da Silva, she had been put in almost the exact same situation as Lauren, only it happened a few days before Lauren was taken. She had been invited to the villa on the pretense of being hired at his bar. Once she was there, she was not allowed to leave. She was beaten with a golf club, locked in a room, and forced by the defendant to eat soap. 
He washed the soap out of her mouth by forcing her head into toilet water. He kept her locked in a room for five days, where she was repeatedly raped. She eventually escaped by jumping over the fence of his home and making her way to authorities. Police then issued a search warrant, and when they searched the villa, they found a woman's identification card and a wallet. They also found a 9mm pistol, an air gun, and a baseball bat in the trunk of his car. Layla DeSilver told the court of a time he doused her in gasoline and held a match. He told her that she had to give him oral sex or he'd light her on fire. He had a knife propped against the wall nearby for added effect. If she disagreed or tried to fight him back, he would hit her or bring out golf clubs to beat her. He also asked his girlfriend to take pictures of her naked and dressed in other women's clothing. He was brutal, disgusting, and manipulative. Laura Canton bravely waived her rights to anonymity, and she's determined to speak out about what happened to her so that other women can try to understand the complexity of a case like hers. A case where women are kept in a state of paralyzing fear because of mental and physical violence. She said, you watch films and you think you know what you do in a situation like that, but the reality is totally different. I was terrified for my life and frightened to do anything that might tip him over the edge. He was clearly mentally unstable, and I thought every minute that he could kill me. When they went to court, Don Fernandez's defense team explained that there's no way he should go to jail because there's no proof that the women were held against their will. There's also no proof that they were raped or hurt in any way. Sukena stayed with Donald and testified for him at court, but her testimony did more harm than good. Sukena described in court the details of the relationship that she had with Lauren and episodes of violence that occurred during that time. According to Fernandez, he was innocent, denying all charges, and he suggested that both of the women work together to incriminate him. In reality, the two women never met. Although Lauren had been the second victim, her interview came first, right after she was rescued by the restaurant worker and police. The second victim, Layla Da Silva, had made a police report, but wasn't formally interviewed until after Lauren had been. Their stories, told individually, were so similar that the police were easily able to link the two of them and build a case against Fernandez. He was found guilty of kidnapping and aggravated assault, and was sentenced to 14 years in prison. He was also ordered to pay the women 10,000 euros, each. He denied any wrongdoing, and showed no remorse. He shouted, I don't want to hear any more of this bullshit, as the sentence was read out. Lauren said the money's not important to her, but what matters is that he's behind bars. She said, what happened to me will haunt me forever but it helps come to terms with it knowing he's been punished and he can't hurt anyone else. She goes on to say she'll always be grateful to the guy in the restaurant for picking up her note and calling the police. She wishes that she could thank him. I'd like to thank him too for stepping in and doing something to help Lauren. He could have easily laughed it off thinking it was a joke and just thrown the note in the garbage. Who knows what could have happened to Lauren if he'd done that. She might have been yet another missing persons case. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's case. I have a couple of special thank yous to hand out today. I'd like to thank Kenneth W. for his review of last week's episode, What Happens in Kinky Cottage Stays in Kinky Cottage. 
He says he recommends Twisted Travel and True Crime because of the absolutely brilliant stories and the pleasant voice of the host. Thank you, Kenneth. I'd also like to thank Mandelich for leaving a review on iTunes. It reads, Yay, just discovered the podcast and I'm officially on the binge. I love that the host covers material I cannot find on any other true crime podcasts. I also love the sounds of the boat in the background. They're so calming. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your review and your time and your kindness. If you guys haven't reviewed the podcast yet, I'd love for you to take the time to do that. If you'd like to take it a step further and become a supporter, you can do so by clicking on one of the links in the show description. You can give on a monthly basis or a one-time donation. There are links in the show description for media if you'd like to reach out and discuss the case, or I'm happy to take suggestions for new cases. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, or you can reach me at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. You will also find my sources in the show notes as well. Thank you all for listening, and to every single one of you, I'd like to wish you fair winds and following seas.